from John chapter 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, though it was not Jesus himself but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sukkar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband. Well, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, I see that you are prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. I am the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why do you speak with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say, Four months more, then comes the harvest. But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. 
And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The word of the Lord. Well, let's pray. Holy Spirit, stir up your power this morning and pour it out on us that we may be transformed to serve you. Amen. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, for the second week in a row, our reading today is a conversation with Jesus. So last week, if you recall, we heard of Nicodemus, this questioning Pharisee coming to Jesus by night, trying to reconcile this unconventional rabbi, Jesus, with the traditions of Moses and the temple. Well, this week's conversation is almost exactly the opposite of that in almost every way. Last week, Jesus spoke with a man named Nicodemus. This week, Jesus speaks with a woman who remains nameless. Nicodemus was a Pharisee and a leader of the Jews, while the woman at the well is a Samaritan and very likely an outcast among her own people. Last week's conversation took place at night. This week's takes place in the middle of the day. And perhaps most importantly, last week, it was Nicodemus doing the seeking, seeking out Jesus by night. But this week, it is Jesus who is doing the seeking. You know, this will be the second time in less than a year that we have heard this story from John's gospel. And that's a good thing, I think, because there are so many important details in the story and it is easy to miss them if you're not paying close attention. So let's enter into our story for today and note some of these very important uh, details that we find there. And you may find it useful to follow along in your Bibles. Uh, If you uh, are using a pew Bible, it's on page 864, this chapter is. Well, a chapter starts with Jesus drawing some unwanted attention. So remember, Jesus had been down in Judea, the Roman province in the southern part of Israel where Jerusalem is, and he has been making quite the impression down there. Not only did he disrupt the temple sacrifices, but his teaching and miracles have led many to believe in him, so much so that he is surpassing John the Baptist in popularity. So when Jesus hears that the Pharisees are growing concerned Jesus decides perhaps it's time to head back up to Galilee in the north, where his hometown of Nazareth is. But we read that in verse 4, he had to go through Samaria. The Greek there is actually even a little stronger than that, I think. It was necessary for him to go through Samaria. Maybe that seems like a pretty minor geographic detail, the sort of things you might find uh, in Google Maps while you're driving. Uh, The shortest route, after all, between the Jewish territory of Judea and the Jewish territory of Galilee uh, in the south and in the north does indeed go through Samaria in the middle, and that's an inconvenient impediment for any Jews in the north who wish to make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem in the south. But it's not exactly necessary to go uh, through Samaria. I mean, it is the shortest route, to be sure, but it's not the only route. And in fact, it would be quite sensible for an observant Jew, especially a rabbi traveling with his disciples, to take the longer route, to go around Samaria and avoid becoming potentially ritually unclean, unable to join in for a while uh, to participate in the communal worship. But Jesus, we're told, had to go through Samaria. 
Well, whatever his reason for traveling this route, they go. And on their journey, they take a pit stop at a well near the village of Sukkar and uh, wait out the heat of the day. Now, Jesus is tired, but they need provisions for their journey. So the disciples go into the village to buy food without him. And as he waits alone at the well, the reason for the necessity of his route becomes clear as this woman of Samaria approaches the well. I mean, now to you and I, probably this chance encounter seems unremarkable so far. But I think that's only because we lack the experience to notice the surprising details here. I mean, after all, in our modern age of cars and electricity and indoor plumbing, it's very difficult for us to imagine all of the realities involved in relying on a communal well shared by all the households in the village as our only consistent water source. But in a village like Sukkar, the home of the woman in our story today, the well would have been immeasurably important. I mean, consider all the ways you use water each day in your life. Preparing food, washing your clothes, cleaning your house, doing the dishes, showering, drinking, the list goes on. Now imagine that all of that water, every bit of it, every drop that you use for those daily tasks has to be retrieved, has to be carried in a large jar from a communal well. And if you're lucky, it may be pretty close to your house, maybe just a quarter mile away. If you're unlucky, it could be a mile or more. And if you are the water getter for your household, you're going to be making that trip at least two times a day, once in the morning and once in the evening, walking out with your empty container, filling it with water, which depending on how deep that well is, is no easy task, and then carrying this now much heavier container all the way back to your home. And since it was the women who gathered water for the household work while the men went into the fields or to the market, the communal well was actually gender segregated, at least depending on the time of day. In the morning and the evening when it was cooler, the times of day you'd want to be carrying heavy jars of water if you have to do it, uh, it was a women's space. For this is when the water was being collected for the daily work and for, uh, to get you through the night. But for the rest of the day, well, the well was primarily a men's space. When the men were taking a break from the fields, or maybe travelers are resting on their journeys. And so it's strange that when Jesus is resting at the well at around noon, the middle of the day, out from the village comes a woman on her own to gather water with her jar. There's something strange here. She doesn't belong here, at least not at this time of day. And yet, for some reason, here she is. Now, as we learn more about her, it becomes clear that she's something of a social outcast. She's been married and then most likely sent away by uh, not one or two, but five different husbands. And the man that she currently lives with will not marry her. Remember, men are the ones who have power at this time. And while we're not told the exact reason for this treatment, the most likely explanation is that she is unable to bear children. And so it seems that the other women in the village have shunned her, maybe not wanting to be associated with her, or perhaps it's just too painful for her to associate with them. And so she chooses to draw her water alone in the middle of the day. Well, I don't imagine she was very comfortable 
as she's coming to the well. It's not a particularly safe place for her necessarily, especially with this Jewish traveler sitting there whom she does not recognize. And so my guess is that her plan was just to kind of keep to herself, uh, collect the water she needed, and then return and go about her business. But, but Jesus, as he often does, he interrupts her plans, asking her for a drink. Now, again, this seems sensible to us, right? Jesus is tired and he's thirsty and the woman has uh, the means to draw water. He doesn't have a bucket on him. Uh, But the woman and later the disciples, they're shocked that Jesus would do this. This is a shocking thing for him to do. I mean, first of all, men and especially Jewish rabbis really were not supposed to be associating with women. I mean, what might the neighbors say? Second of all, Jesus is a Jew, And this woman is a Samaritan. And Jews, as we hear in verse 9, well, they have nothing to do with Samaritans. Now, in case you don't remember the relationship between Jews and Samaritans, here's a quick history refresher. So if you think back to October or November, uh, the readings that we had, uh, you might remember that after King Solomon, the one who built the temple, after his death, the Israelites in the northern kingdom, they broke away from the Israelites in the southern kingdom. And uh, they did this because of the heavy burden that was imposed on them to build this temple in Jerusalem in the south. And uh, for centuries after this, the northern kingdom, which was called Israel, with its capital in Samaria, and the southern kingdom called Judah, with its capital in Jerusalem, they were at odds with each other right up until the Assyrian Empire invaded and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel and scattered its people across the empire and brought in foreigners uh, uh, from other nations to work the land and to intermix with the people who were left. Well, by the time of Jesus, centuries later now, the descendants of that remnant in the north and those other foreign uh, peoples who had been brought in, uh, those people came to be known as Samaritans. And they were not regarded kindly by the Jews who were the descendants of uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. The Samaritans and the Jews worshipped the same God for the most part. They had a similar history. But the Samaritans accepted only the books of Moses as scripture. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that was it. And they rejected the the Jerusalem temple, insisting that God desired to be worshipped on Mount Gerizim in Samaria. You hear the woman and Jesus talking a bit about where they worship, in the temple or on this mountain. So when Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman asking her for a drink, he is cutting across a thousand years worth of divide between these people. As their conversation continues, it only becomes more remarkable. For as they speak, it's clear that this woman is able to engage with Jesus more ably than anyone else in John's gospel, rather than ending with confusion. And how could this be, which we got uh, last week from Nicodemus, that esteemed Pharisee, that esteemed leader of the Jews, This woman keeps up with Jesus, and their conversation varies wildly. It goes all over the place. It goes from the necessity of water uh, to these uh, questions of theological differences between Jews and Samaritans. It goes from this woman's marital history to the identity of Jesus. And throughout this conversation, we notice changes in the woman. You can trace this if you look. I mean, first there is her understanding of Jesus. As the conversation goes on, you can see her perception of him is transformed. First, in verse 9, he's a Jew. What, what are you, a Jew, doing asking me, a Samaritan woman, she says. Then, starting in verse 11, he becomes sir 
and she addresses him as sir for a little while. Then in verse 19, he becomes a prophet. I see that you are a prophet. Then she hints in verse 25, maybe he's uh, the Messiah. We know that Messiah is coming, she says. And then she questioningly names him Christ in verse 29, speaking to her people. And finally, in verse 42, the crowd from her village who have come out because of her witness, they name Jesus the Savior of the world. The loftiest title we've seen for Jesus yet. It's quite the transformation. But even more remarkable to me is the transformation of this woman herself. I mean, she begins this story as a woman out of place. She's coming to the well at an inconvenient time. She's, uh, and as the conversation continues, she, she's revealed to be an outcast among her people, living with a man who won't stoop to marry her. But by the end of the conversation with Jesus, she is something else entirely. She's a witness of Jesus, bringing good news to her entire village, even if she doesn't yet quite believe it herself. She is, as Jesus explains the disciples in verse 37, this little aside he has with the disciples, she's the one laboring in the fields so that Jesus and the disciples can step in and reap the harvest. Now, we don't hear from this woman again in John's gospel, but I can't imagine that her status in that village stayed the same after these first uh, few days with Jesus. Once she had no place in the community, but now she's been given a place of honor. Once she was an outcast, but now she's the one who brought them to the Savior of the world. Once she could bear no children, but now she has become their mother in the faith. And all of this because of Jesus who sought her out. Jesus who had to go through Samaria. As he always does, when Jesus arrived uh, to this woman and to this village, he did not leave them as they were but transform them into something else. No longer is this an ordinary village, so insignificant, by the way, that even today we're not quite sure where to locate it. But rather, she is among, or this village is among the first to recognize that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. As Jesus always does, he's taken something ordinary and transformed it to be something extraordinary. I'm convinced that Jesus is now doing something like this with us. Jesus is working in and among this congregation, turning us outward, opening us up, doing the good and sometimes unpleasant work of transformation so that we too may be witnesses to our communities, inviting them in to meet this Jesus who has sought us out. And I know that you feel inadequate, not sure of your words, of your faith, even of your understanding, not up to the task of sharing this good news with your community, but neither was the woman in our story today. I mean, did you hear that excellent sermon that she gave after talking with Jesus? Let me read it for you. It's, it's in verse 29. She says, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He can't be the Messiah, can he? It's hardly the sort of model we'd expect, and yet from, uh, with Jesus, it is more than enough. So sisters and brothers, Jesus, the Savior of the world, has sought you out. 
He has come to you, not leaving you as you are, stuck in the hopeless patterns of life, but has transformed you, giving you a new identity and a new purpose. In Jesus Christ, you have been transformed. And in Jesus Christ, you now live. Not according to the old identities, the ones which would keep you silent, but as chosen and beloved witnesses of the surprising grace and love of God. Amen.